Welcome back to Behind Our Door. Hi, Julie. Hi, Nancy. Good to see you. Great to see you. So, since we last saw one another, and uh, since we last saw one another, and that was about two weeks ago, and have had shows on mass shootings, like with our guest Phil Andrew, which was uh, following the Uvalde, Texas incident, there was a mass shooting in my town, Highland Park. And I have to say, I, I, it's for a whole nother podcast when I look at um, the recovery of individuals I know in that in our, in our town. I've lived there 27 years, and I was not at the parade that they, um, that where the shootings took place, but, and I also did not know any of the seven individuals, the victims that tragically lost their lives, but the stories in our town have come out daily on people that have participate, that had participated in helping uh, those with gunshot wounds and kids, and it's just, you know, so cliche to say, I can't believe it happened in my town, but it's just mind-blowing when it happens close to you, and um, hearing all the sirens, you know, in your in your town, wondering what's going on, and we had just had this guest weeks before yeah. talking about that, and this expert who then <laughs> that night on national news, he's talking about what happened in my town, Highland Park. It was it's just you know when will it stop? This is for a different a whole different episode because there's a lot to say, and. Um, it I seems just had so to mention surreal it. all the time. C- completely surreal. And I couldn't help but, you know, saying hello to one another, start off with that because it was a tragedy once again hitting home. But when will it stop? You know, we just, it's beyond well, sad. It's sad isn't even enough. It's, it, the tragedy is, is just inexplicable. Yeah, and um, I think we have to go back to the basics, like we talked about in that podcast. If you mm-hmm. see something, say something. Absolutely. Let's, let, we have to stand up for one another so this can stop. And, and it, right, and on that note, and again, this really is just too much to talk about in our you know short time here right. to open up for another podcast. Um, we did the father they keep talking about in the news that uh, of the you know his son was the shooter. He was a very visible person when my kids were going up there, and I will explain that another time. But, you know, it's it's see something, say something is is the entire thing here um, mm-hmm. with, with a, a a young adult that was so, so disturbed and yeah. and just wasn't stopped. And uh, I just feel as though that is, you're right, the basics. It could have been possibly stopped several times on different levels. But anyway, so that's that's for another time. But I just had to, and our give hearts a shout go out, out. To, to all the victims. And mm-hmm. in between recording this and dropping this, we pray that there's no other shootings in between that. Absolutely. So, um, to switch gears, and uh, we have some great guests coming on today. I'm sure you have all heard of the gorgeous ladies of wrestling. Well, today we have the gorgeous ladies of anxiety. These amazing women have bonded their friendship through their illnesses, often taking different paths in life, but always returning to one another for strength, support, and their friendship. Now these two women are taking over the internet and the airwaves, sharing their struggles and life challenges, forging a worldwide sisterhood 
through dealing with anxiety. Please welcome our new soon-to-be friends, Abs and Mags. The Anxiety Sisters. All right, ladies, let's get started. Um, for those of you who are listening, as in our introduction, we're talking to Abs and Mags, the Anxiety Sisters. Thank you for being here, ladies. Well, we're delighted to be here. Thank you so much for having us and for everything you guys do. It's so important. Likewise. You're our first podcaster guests, so this is just <laughs> fun all around. Yeah. Fun to share all around. We've really made it now. Um, for the sake of, we've done some reading and listening on behalf of you two. Um, why don't you each tell a little to our listening audience just a little bit about each of your backgrounds and how you guys met, how your your podcast started? Well, um, my background, I guess, um, despite the fact that I've done my graduate work in communication and I was a professor for 27 years, I really consider myself first and foremost an anxiety sufferer. Um, my I, first memory that I have of my, uh, my anxiety showing up was when I was five years old. I remember that in order to get in the car with my family to go places, I would sneak out into the garage beforehand and tap all the tires. Mm. So I was experiencing some obsessions and compulsions very, very young, didn't know what it was, kept it to myself, wasn't diagnosed properly with OCD till I was 46. Oh, wow. But, uh, but that's where anxiety started for me very, very, very young. Um, and uh, so I was an anxiety sister, I think in, in utero. And I met Mags, my anxiety sister extraordinaire, in college back in the 80s when the dinosaurs roamed the earth. <laughs> and um, and we, we recognized kindred spirits in each other. I mean, you know, back in the 80s, we didn't talk about mental health the way that we do now. It was, no. I mean, it's so much better. We still have such a long way to go. Yes. But it is so much better now in the sense that just the current generation of kids in college, they know the vocabulary. They, they can do. talk about it. They can find podcasts like yours and ours. They can read a lot of books. There's a lot of help out there. I mean, there's so much more. When Mags and I were coming up and, you know, we were in our teens, people didn't talk about anxiety, you know, and, and no one talked about depression as much either. It was thought of as sort of something that meant you were seriously mentally ill. And that was yes. something, you know what I mean? Like non-functional. And yeah. if you saw if you saw a psychiatrist, it was like, oh my god, Taboo. there's something really wrong. Right, and certainly they didn't prescribe medication at the time for anxiety or depression to, you know, I think to the general public, it was much more um, in the earlier stages of being. I mean, Prozac came out in 1989, so that was right about when Mags and I were becoming close friends, and we did. We became soul sisters, um, and we have been managing our anxiety together side by side for 35 years, uh, every single day. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'll let Mags tell you a little bit about her journey and then about um, what happened to us after college. But I'll, I'll leave it with saying that of all the things that I have personally tried to manage my anxiety over the years, and I feel that my anxiety now is well managed, uh, the most important was my connection with Maggie. Just having a supportive, non-judgmental BFF mm -hmm. that I could call up and say, okay, this is what I'm feeling right now. It, is that anxiety? Or am I, what's going on here? In other words, just knowing she was never going to shame me. She was never going to say to me, you're crazy. She was never going to tell me, oh, just, just chill out. You're going to be fine. Just go do it. She wasn't going to do any of that. She wasn't going to invalidate or discount. She was going to sit and listen and either say, 
oh my God, I feel the same way. Or, you know what, that sounds to me like, blah, 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 let's figure out what this is together. So, And, and a lot of times someone will have, bump into a friend and have one conversation like that and say, oh, I'm so glad I saw that person make you feel better. The fact that you guys are doing this all the time, what a gift that yeah. you have each other and have built this whole friendship. Of we, we also give each other anxiety from time to time. So we, <laughs> like any good relationship. Yes, yes. Like anybody. You know, I spill a, I spill dark soda on a new white carpet and. <laughs> oh my God, let that go. That was 30 years ago. <laughs> Things happen. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I would always sort of as an adult, um, a friend's mother one time said to me, anxiety was in the air in the house that you grew up in, which is true. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we were an anxious family, my family of origin. And um, my parents, I'm sorry, we're having lights flickering right now. That's okay. okay. They um, can't my, see it. <laughs> uh, my parents, um, you know, both experienced a lot of loss early in life. Mm -hmm. And um then i my father got sick when i was quite young and so there was just a tremendous amount of anxiety you know and a tremendous amount of really being in fight flight or freeze because there were medical emergencies like almost constantly for years wow. and so um i think that i had really severe separation anxiety as oh, a young yeah. child um and was always, you know, went out into the world pretty in a pretty anxious way. And so Ab when Abby and I met, as she said, it wasn't it wasn't so much that the two of us wouldn't have told each other things. It was more that, you know, everyone thought this is happening to me. These weird symptoms are happening to me. Right. And I don't know what they are and I don't know why this is happening to me. Whereas I think like now at least we know more like oh i'm feeling like i'm not quite in my body or something oh this is that's called dissociation or like now there's mm -hmm. a name for things right. a little bit more but back then there wasn't and um i have to say abby and i both found that the resources we needed weren't out there as she said and that it is right yeah and that is really what we set out to do we sort of wanted to put out the resource that we so needed and some days still do need but you know um that was our original idea um was to write a book and and build a community really around um, it yeah around it yeah and that's kind of how we started the anxiety sisters and and when you say build a community did i see that you have even a support group that's associated with your podcast that people explain that i mean how people register for that or how do they well we have a lot of different supports one is that we have you know there's a very big facebook community that's incredibly supportive over and over and over again we see people basically saying um you know oh my god i thought i was alone and now they're they're all these people reaffirming that whatever i'm feeling they're feeling too um we also do a lot of presentations that really become very supportive. We're planning a retreat. Um, and we have, um, I run a Zoom group. Um, we're on a break for part of the summer, but I run a Zoom, a very small Zoom group online um, 
that's like a six week group where we come together and it's a real support group. It's a really supportive environment. It's called the coping crew. Oh, I love that. And is it all, is it all women? It has been so far. Like we've had a couple, we had a man, we had a couple of men ask if they can join um, the nature of the group. And I'd love to do like a co-ed one or a man's one, but the nature of the group has been all people identifying as women be, you know, some of the things that are, some of the things that are happening, it's more appropriate to have a, have a group of, of people identifying as women. Yeah. And these are women from all over the country or? Yes. <laughs> all over the country. All ages. Well, I think, I think there's something to be said about, about forming that bond between, you know, a sisterhood, bringing yeah. a sisterhood to it because there's safety in that. And the reality is, we as women deal with different challenges in life than than men do. Not that their um, illness is any less important, but I think you can get more intimate on an intimate level with with other women. You know, we're the caregivers, we're working moms, we're raising children, we're you know, we're we wear a <laughs> you know all those things. <clears throat> yes, 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 yes. When did you guys both discover that? and get diagnosed how, how long did that take you from and when did you finally tell each other well well what we'd like to say is that um you know when we we always were very frank with each other we we just didn't have a name for it mm -hmm. but what we like to say is that um after college we had the decade of the is so we didn't know what was wrong with us we just knew it was something so we went to the gastroenterologist, the neurologist, the, mm -hmm. hypnotist, the acupuncturist, past the, life regressionist, <laughs> anyone, anyone who would take our money, um, we would go to like, sort of like, why am I feeling this? Or why do I have this? It was like sort of individual physical or or, or um, psychological symptoms. And, you know, some of the people were incredibly helpful to us. But it was like, it took us a while to put the whole sort of picture together. And part of anxiety is that it feels so physical that you mm -hmm. that you cannot believe that something is not physically wrong with you. So you like run around. There's no way this could there be. Was, there was a period of time where I would say to Maggie, you know, I everybody every doctor is telling me this is anxiety. This can't be anxiety. Right. This has <laughs> got to be cardiac. You know, and that was after my third EKG and all the, you know, whatever all those tests were. And my heart was fine. But I kept saying, there's no way that I could get like numbness in my arm and chest pain and all the bare aspirin symptoms. I get those. That cannot be anxiety. That's got to be cardiac. So I think, and Maggie kept saying, you know, I know there's something wrong with my stomach. It's definitely, I know that you can get butterflies in your stomach, but I mean, I can't eat for a week at a time. This is not this is something wrong, you know, and we both sort of spent a lot of time admonishing a lot of healthcare providers that they should be watching house because they clearly don't understand <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that we are medical mysteries. And uh, it just took us until, you know, midway through our twenties and many years of going to the IST to say to each other, uh, I guess that all that's left is anxiety. I mean, how many scans can you have? Yeah. Right. Yeah, and also, but around that time was when the professionals were kind of putting it together too. You know, the 80s was, the 80s yeah. and 90s, 
yeah. of, of realizing the gut is connected to anxiety or, oh, yeah. um, you know, it took, it took a while. It was not yes. talked about because I don't think, I don't think that was really, that was really a connection yet. I mean, and once we accepted that it was anxiety, which definitely was a journey in and of itself. But once we did that, then, you know, we had our, we got various diagnoses and Mags and I always say that between the two of us, we've covered the entire anxiety spectrum. I mean, we have OCD, we have panic disorder, we have <laughs> got it all. For your listeners. <clears throat> yes, we, we've done it all, baby. So, <laughs> so yeah, the, the, then, then we got our diagnoses and started our own, you know, treatment plans, which were different from each other's, but you know, and started to try all the hundreds of things that we write about in our book. We, we tried every technique that we talk about in that book. There's not one thing in there that we think, oh, that would be fun. Let's see if that, let's put that in there. We all, we tried them all. And, so, and I, I, I have ordered your book. I think it's coming tomorrow because reading up for this, I read some of the excerpts. I said to Julie, I related to every single thing in some yeah. way, shape or form. The way it's written, it's funny. I mean, mm -hmm. it makes you, it was like, you know, you don't think you could laugh about some of this. It makes you laugh, but it's so real. And I just feel relatable. Like that, it's very I feel relatable. like that is a, do you call it a guidebook? The survival yeah, the Anxiety guidebook. Sister Survival it is, Guide. It is a survival guide. I'm yeah. so excited to get it, and I will not loan it out to anybody. I will probably <laughs> keep that under my pillow. Yeah, but, well, um, uh, that was very purposeful because when we went to look for books, because, you know, you turn, we turn to, the two of us turn, tend to turn to books for help. Okay. We went to look for books and um, we were, I remember we were in Barnes and Noble, we were in um, the anxiety section and the book. Together? So together. And the <laughs> provoking, I remember they, that. They were so anxiety provoking, just like both the names of the books and then each book we'd look through and it would be like, you should be doing X, Y, and Z. They were very prescriptive. And Abby just looked at me and she's like, I have to leave and I've got to go take it out of them. Like the books themselves were making us so anxious. I, it was a very and, popular book that did it to me uh, that, that I think is still in print, but I noticed it was at the time it was a bright red cover. It had the word panic in huge letters. <laughs> when my when I see the word panic, my brain thinks it's a command. So uh, I just fled. Yeah, ran for the hills. And, and you know, now I notice that I, you know a recent edition of that book has, was was published, and now it has really it's like a soft green cover with leaves and flowers. <laughs> and Somebody told written in red is not I mean, the color. You know, it's definitely a kinder, gentler version. I'm, I mean, and the the work inside of it of the book was probably fantastic, but I was too freaked out just from the cover. <laughs> now, one of you, one of you is a creative writer, right? Somebody. Well, we both we're both writers. I have a I have a, an MFA in creative writing, but we both been writing our whole life. It's it's just uh, what I saw reading online. So that was, that is why we fabulous. wanted to write in a way that w would not be prescriptive either. Yes. Like, so that you know, when I was at the height of my anxiety, mine was mainly through my stomach and. I couldn't get food. I could not keep food down. And it wasn't an eating disorder in that I wanted to and I tried to eat. And um, and so, you know, I would pick up a book and they'd be like, you should be eating a healthy diet, like, you know, five vegetables a day or whatever. And I'm like, I that's not possible. Or Abby had cardiac symptoms and it would be like, go exercise. 
vigorously vigorously exercise and it's the big my heart's already going 200 feet i can't sweat anymore yes it's the the big insult of a word saying psychosomatic which is implied such an awful word but when they you know i feel like when it veers off into you know what you feel like your arm is numb like you're saying and you're having chest pains go get some exercise you feel like they think this is you know, that all awful, in your head. Awful, right? right. There's, there's a lot of judgment and shaming mm-hmm. in the mental in the mental health space. And, mm-hmm. you know, we know this. I mean, even for mental health professionals, it's getting better. Mm-hmm. I yes. think that the conversation is much more robust. And Mags and I feel really lucky to be part of that conversation, and we want to keep being part of that conversation. But um, you know, both Maggie and I felt quite shamed and judged by many of the professionals that we met with by in various industries, not just the medical profession, and also uh, people in our lives who are very loving, caring people that, you know, just didn't understand. And so they would say, what do you mean you, it's just book club. Why can't you come to book club if you're anxious? I mean, it's just book club. Right. Stuff like that, you know what I mean? Or, or, or just take a chill pill. You're really, you're fine. It's in your head. And we got, we got a lot of that. And so, you know, what we realized when we were looking at some of these prescriptive, you should books Mm -hmm. is that, you know what, anxiety sufferers already feel like they're letting the world down. We already feel like we're unreliable and we can't, you know, we can't meet our obligations always. And we're already feeling really bad about that. We don't need somebody to say to us, you know, well, you just need to buck up, baby. And, you know, Mm -hmm. or you just need to eat five fruits and vegetables, get rid of gluten and exercise for 35 minutes a day. I mean, that stuff is shaming because it makes it seem like there's a simple answer. And there's not because it's very, very complicated. And, and everyone's diagnosis is different. Absolutely. You both don't being is different. Yes. And you both don't have the same type of anxiety, correct? No, no. I mean, I have obsessive compulsive disorder. Maggie does not. I wish Maggie, no, uh, I wish she had more obsessive compulsive disorder. I can only say that because I suffer from it. It's really not a joke, but um, you know, uh, Maggie had some very specific phobias that I did not share. Um, you know, we, we definitely have, we both have had our panic disorder. <laughs> We've got that in common. So do, you, do you feel as though over the years though, the stigma of anxiety has, has gotten better? I mean, they say with the pandemic, you know, people think of things differently. I think that, what do you think? This is, anxiety is your thing. What do you I, think? I, what we, what we've talked about a lot, Abby and I, is that now it's more, it's more acceptable to say, oh, I have this, or I have that, a mental health diagnosis, including anxiety. And people are, people are less sort of reluctant to say certain words, right? But when it comes to functioning in the world like so it's like like abby said what you can't i can't get to work or i can't do this or i can't do that it's still sort of seen as not valid like we um i was telling abby that there's a there was a a show on for a short period of time on like hbo in a psychiatric hospital place in a psychiatric hospital in australia and and one of the women uh, was having really a hard time getting outside and, you know, out into the world. And the psychiatric nurse basically said to her, I'm going to give you a cast for your leg because then like you'll go out there and people will be really accommodating and try Empathetic. To really well. Mm-hmm. Right. And, 
that will just help you feel more comfortable. And she did and all these things happened, right? And that is still the way it is. It's like, we don't have a cast mm -hmm. for those of us with mental health issues and people can't see it. And, and there is a very real way that they don't connect the dots. Why would this connect with this? Like, why would, why would, okay, you have this, but you should still be able to do this, this, and this, and this, you should still be able to do everything everyone else does. Like, right. like it, in other words, if you have a cast on your leg, people will fall all over themselves to carry things for you. If you, tell them, you know, they won't yeah. ask you to climb a flight of stairs, mm -hmm. you know, and because they'll say, oh, you can't climb a flight of stairs because your leg won't let right. you do it. But when it's a mental health issue, so it's hiding in your brain where people can't see it, even though your symptoms are very visible sometimes in your body, you know, people will, will still expect you to, you know, Oh, you, why aren't you driving carpool? What mm -hmm. you have bad, you're having a bad what anxiety day? Oh, 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 okay. You get that. It's not. It's they're not falling all over themselves to bring you a casserole or to say, oh, you know what? I totally get that. I will pick up the kids. Don't worry. Whereas if I called and said I broke my leg, mm -hmm. every mother in the carpool would have been yep. like, oh, don't worry about it. I can take care of it. But if yep. it was, oh, you know, I just had this major panic attack and I'm just exhausted from it. You know, you still get the, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, all right. yeah we, we did a whole podcast on that about where's my casserole because yes. I, I've been saying that for years when my, yeah. my son got diagnosed and he's diagnosed with bipolar one and ADHD and plethora of other things through the years. And mm -hmm. um, no one knocked on my door either to say, right. what can we do to help you? You know, like right. you can't come to work today because my son's having a full blown meltdown and my house is torn apart right now, and I don't know what to do, you know? Yes. 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 Same here. Yeah. On my end, I felt like that That on top of, it's isolating. Yes. Now, you know, I always was, I was always, and still, this fine line of protecting my son's own, you know, he's trying to get through, and he's, he's making progress. He has bipolar disorder, and he is, he's moved out of the state, away from us, and he's, doing it. He's 30 and he is living on his own. He still took himself out there. It's not it's not like a perfect situation by any stretch, but it's much better. But I was when he was in high school and he really went through really tough times, it was a lot for me to tell other people I can't drive carpool. I did confide in some and the reaction I will never forget. Some people were like, well, uh, kind of like, okay, as if I was trying to get out of something. And other people would say, you know what, I have a sister I grew up with with schizophrenia. Yeah. And, you know, mm -hmm. they would open up and, yes. and have yes. a platform to say anything and everything that's happened to them in their life. And I always, you know, was working for NAMI at the time or close to it, um, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. And I felt like that's all working on the stigma. And it was sort of this, you know, slow progress we're getting there the generation of our kids is much better than we are um, yeah, they talk about it i think i think that their um friends and acquaintances let's say they have kids and they're driving carpool i think there will be a lot more understanding to say you know what i'm having a really bad day i have really bad anxiety day i don't know what the trigger was i can't do it they'll be more open and they'll get the help do you agree with that yes that's just what i think but i i think so i think in um I'm a native New Yorker who moved to Ohio. Um, I think in different parts of the country, the experience is very different. 
Um, oh, really? Yes. Interesting. How so? I do. Well, you know, I, I was in New York City, in around New York City my whole life. And there people are much more comfortable. Everyone's in therapy. You know, <laughs> people are much more comfortable using certain words. And definitely when I moved to Ohio, not that there aren't people who are very comfortable, but I, I found that it was much more stigmatized. It was much you know, it was more stigmatized than it was on the East Coast. At least that was that was my experience. Like, you know, in New York, people are always dropping. Well, my therapist thinks, you know, that that's like a common phrase you'll hear where I, I don't hear that. And and it was much more stigmatized in terms of, you know, children's mental health or teens mental health. Yeah, it's much more stigmatized. That, it's almost non-existent when my, I mean, my son's 29, her son's 30. It was, it was like, it didn't exist until someone hit 18. And as yeah. you guys know, and can attest to, yeah. that's not true. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So I, I, I do think it's different in different parts of the country and different communities culturally have very different absolutely experiences with um, mental health issues. But I, I do think like there's so many great groups like Active Minds, this group for college students. Yes. So many other groups that, yes, I think that there's a different way of speaking about mental health than there was. At yeah, least. I see a difference. I, I feel yeah. like that's the one really encouraging uh, yeah. fact of today is these kids have a whole different way of communicating in my children's generation, which is 20s, 30s. Um, and it's... It's encouraging. When Julie and I were uh, years ago doing speaking engagements at a huge high school outside of Chicago, mm -hmm. it would be like uh, an auditorium of 600 kids. And after we gave our presentation, we'd say, does anyone have any questions? These kids were like, you know, freshmen in high school, raised their hand mm -hmm. in front of all their peers saying, I feel like I might have that, or my brother, or my mother, or my friend, and I don't know what to do, and in front of all these kids. And, so brave. And so brave. And now the residuals in a really good way, it really is happening. So with our generation, yeah, it's still, uh, you guys are making a huge difference in what you're doing. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm, I feel like this is uh, anxiety. I don't know anyone who doesn't have anxiety, but the, your, your level of speaking about it is really a gift, I mean, to, to people that will listen. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so let me ask you, how do you know when you need to get professional help? Well, we- What would we, be your advice? <laughs> what Max and I would say to people is that anxiety is on a continuum, right? It's on a spectrum. So, you know, if you're a human being, you've experienced anxiety at some point on that continuum, mm -hmm. right? All human beings, whether it be butterflies in your stomach, a full-blown panic attack, whatever, we've all experienced different anxiety on different levels. So having anxiety in and of itself is not a problem. What's difficult is when your anxiety starts making your choices for you. It's when your anxiety starts deciding who you'll see, where you'll go, and what you'll do. So what Mags and I always tell people is if you are in the driver's seat, and your anxiety is riding shotgun, cool. If your anxiety is driving and you are either in the backseat or strapped to the roof of the car, <laughs> you may want to be looking for some help because anxiety is treatable. It's not curable for most people, but it's treatable. And you can live really full 
and fulfilling lives with anxiety. Mags and I are proof of that. You know, people always say to us, oh, you know, when did you recover? And we always laugh. Like, oh, I don't know. Any day. <laughs> the magic, the magic yeah, because there are days when, you know, I will still wake up with crippling anxiety. You know, the only difference is that I manage it differently. And before I had figured out how to, how to manage it for myself, I would just turn over the, the wheel to my anxiety. Now, if I wake up with anxiety, I say, you're here, fine, I'm driving. So it's, a, it's just, it's, a, it's not whether or not you have anxiety, it's, it's how much control of your own, your own agency you can keep. And if you're finding that your world is shrinking because anxiety has really taken over and that happens to so many of us, if that's happening consistently in your life is not, you're not able to live the life you want to live, then yes, then, then, then get some help and email me and mags. We can direct you, um, in the right place. Um, you know, there's so much help out there. And sharing, so, sharing is the best medicine. Sharing is, yeah, that's and, and where do, where do people start? Should they call their, you know, doctor? Should they, um, call I'm, a psychiatrist? Um, Should we call a I, therapist? I mean, what are the, what are the basics? Like, it, it definitely depends on the situation. Today, someone actually, we just, I just wrote something about, I had terrible driving phobia, as Abby knows, <laughs> terrible, ter terrible driving phobia. And it was something I really worked on with a lot of exposures, a lot of exposure therapy over the years. And it took me a very, like multiple ye years to get fully over it. And I am now, but someone, someone wrote us today and this morning, and she actually said, I'm, I, you know, I'm trying to do exposures and I'm really stuck. I can't, I can't seem to do it. And, you know, I, I'll say to someone, when, when you're stuck, we know you need some help, you know, so you may, for some people, they, they will, if they have a doctor that they're connected to, that they really trust. feel like they can confide in and trust, mm -hmm. yeah, you can go to a doctor, you can, you know, go to a resource other types of resources, friends or family or a workplace and try to start looking for therapists. You know, this person, the more I talk to her, you know, I suggested she see a psychiatrist because she would, she might need medication. I'm not a psychiatrist, but the more we were sort of talking back and forth, it became clear that to do exposures that she wanted to do, she might need medication. I don't, I don't know, but she definitely would need some therapy. So it kind of depends on the situation and the person. I wish there was like a simple way to answer that, but the mental health system is so fragmented right. and difficult to access for many people um, that we don't have like a standard, okay, everyone do this. Right, and what if, what if they're afraid to get the help? Should they ask a friend, ask a family member? I mean, I feel like- yeah, it's hard. We even suggest like sometimes, you know, the crisis text line. Mm, that's a great and idea. now they're more now there's much more of that than there was there, because there is, everything there was is. virtual. There's now no we have 988. Now, instead of having to call the National Suicide Hotline, we can just dial 988. All exactly. Over mm -hmm. Right. It just happened last week. And that's huge progress. Yeah, huge. huge. It's, it was a big step. Often suggest calling NAMI. You know, depending on the situation. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, so I always we're looking say, for support groups. We always yeah. say, look, your local chapter of NAMI, they have great support groups. And, and, yeah. And I always say with all of this, NAMI or otherwise, that, you know, you can see 
seek professional help virtually anywhere from anywhere. But it is good to stay local somewhat because sometimes there is um, there is something about local resources that may be of help. And so if you're right. calling, if you're in Chicago and you're with some group in Los Angeles because the people are great, fine. But but there are certain points that will really be helpful if you can actually reach out and go somewhere. And, and by the way, I'm listening to you. I actually have driving phobia. I oh, mean, it's gotten worse as the years go on. And you know yeah. what? No one. This is this is just for all the listeners of how you present it. I haven't really conquered this. I will get on a train and go to Wisconsin instead of drive half the time because I'm like, I just can't deal with it. And I haven't reached out. Look at me. I'm, I'm talking about this every day. I mean, we have our own podcast. I'm listening. Yeah. To read about it. And it's how you present it. And I think anxiety is a misunderstood at times and not taken seriously right. until illness. I mean, it's so it's how you present it. If you don't if you don't realize you need help, you're not going to get help. I'm the perfect example with the driving. Um, you know, I have no one pushing me for exposure therapy. My own husband is like, just take the train. <laughs> I mean, you know, they can't deal with yeah. the worry that I'm going to have a panic attack in the car. And so it's it's that too. I mean, anxiety is, is uh, such, the word is used every day all over the place. Sometimes it's appropriate and sometimes it's not. And um, And so it's a matter of taking yourself seriously and realizing like you guys are saying, if it's holding you back from a big part of your life, it means you really have to look into this. Well, if your world, we like to, we have this saying we call shrinking world syndrome, as Abby said before, and it's really, if it's something where it's defining like what you do, where you go, you know, who you spend time with, then, you know, it is shrinking your world in some way or another. And, you know, and then even, even with, you know, even within that, some things affect your daily life more than others. And it's it's really deciding, you know, that this isn't something I want to hold me back anymore. You right. know, sometimes, sometimes we decide, you know, mm -hmm. sometimes we decide else, but uh, otherwise, but it it is, it's so many people have like something like driving phobias, which we don't hear discussed a lot. And I would say that's probably one of the most popular things we get. Really, um, you know, I never, I hardly ever tell anyone. It's talked about a lot on our Facebook page, and we really? uh, we've written some blogs. We actually did a whole podcast on driving phobias, really, because it's listen. such a big topic. And you know, and we we do something called a BFF cast, where Mags and I will just talk for twenty minutes or so, the two of us, without bringing in anybody else, just for an interview, just the two of us, and we'll pick a topic that's very big. In, in our community, like it's stuff that people are talking about that particular week or month. And that's why we did the driving phobia because it's every time Maggie posts something about driving phobia, it gets shared a thousand times. Wow. I had, I had no idea. Oh yeah. yeah it very is very popular. Yeah. 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 I think a lot of this stuff is way more common than people think, but people you know don't talk about it. You know what the two most common words on our Facebook page are? Hmm. Me too. <laughs> I believe that. Hundred yeah. percent. our own Me Too. It's like you know, everyone is saying, "Oh my God, I didn't know that was a thing." And that, yeah. and that just, just, just just hearing that takes a load off. Yeah. You know, somewhat. yeah, it makes you feel yes, better exactly. just hearing that. Exactly. It's not just me. It's it's a ton of other people. You know, and since we started doing Anxiety Sisters, of course, even people 
in our own lives or, you know, people we meet like um, will often come up to us and and say, oh, yeah, like I don't know if I have a driving phobia, but I won't drive on the highway or you know, I haven't been to the dentist in five years just because I am afraid of dentists. But yeah. I don't know if that's a phobia, you know, so so we all have these things that we identify with. And I think some some of what's helpful about being in a community like the Anxiety Sisters is that number one, it's free and free is always good. Mm -hmm. number, two, number two, it's, you know, there's a lot of complaints that are legitimate about how mean the internet can be. But I have to say that our Facebook community is the kindest place. I mean, just we, we really don't have haters. We have really good people on there. I mean, 200 and something thousand of them. I will attest to that because that's how I found you both. Yeah, I mean, um, and they, I and fell they, on it. Know, and it's they amazing. Just encourage each other. Yes. And 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 I I always get a kick out of how many people say that's a thing. Mm -hmm. That's a thing. Oh my god, that's me. That's me. You know, yeah, like yes, that recognition of oh, I'm not alone. Yeah. So I would say that for for your, anyone who's listening to this podcast, that if you're thinking, I want if I'm an anxiety sister, go lurk on our page. Just lurk. You don't mm -hmm. have to say anything. Just scroll. Look read. at some, read, read some of the memes. Look at what some people are saying about it. If you don't feel at home, I'll be shocked. <laughs> it, it is. Yeah. It just feels like a bunch of people putting their arms around each other and saying, man, this sucks. But at least we have each other. Yeah, it's like a big hug, big virtual hug. Yeah, yeah. I love really? what you guys are doing. Oh, I Maybe love it. Is I just so absolutely love Maggie's it. a social worker, so she's been a community person her her whole life. Really, that's been her her gift. She is really a, a gifted counselor. And um, I came to the idea of community much later. You know, I in fact, when Mags and I, we the way that the Anxiety Sisterhood was founded was that back in 2010, we were riding a bus from New Jersey to New York. And we were talking pretty loudly about the side effects of the antidepressant we were taking uh, because we're the anxiety sisters and we talk loudly about things <laughs> other people have heard about. <laughs> but anyway, within a few minutes, the woman in the seat in front of us turned around and said, you know, I couldn't help it over here. I'm on that medicine too. And I have that side effect. What do you do about it? Within a few minutes, I would say three quarters of the bus was part of this conversation. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All these people, mostly women, turned around and chatting away about really personal things, sexual side effects, medication that we're taking, all these things that are very intimate. We got off the bus and Mags and I are walking down 9th Avenue and I said to her, can you believe that total strangers mm -hmm. were willing to talk about such intimate things like anxiety? And she said, yeah, I do because anxiety is so isolating. It is so lonely. People need community. And then she kind of said into the air, we're anxiety sisters. And the name stuck. And oh, that's I how it happened. Yeah. Story. I love it. That is, is just, uh... and that, that is something I would say, as you ask for, you know, if, where does someone start getting help? You know, now, the, the good thing about the internet um, is that there are all these communities and groups, you know, including ours on it. And I think that's a really good place to start getting help because you know, less intimidating than maybe reaching out to a professional and starting to sort of get some information. 
Um, you can get referrals from virtual buddies. I mean, uh, virtual sessions yeah. can be really, you can say, hey, I'm in the Chicago area and I'm looking for, mm -hmm. I mean, I had somebody, somebody was emailing somebody else on, on our Facebook page about, um, they were looking for a particular type of therapist in a very small remote area of Colorado. And, you know, people see it and one person's like, oh, I live there too. Where are you? And then they got, <laughs> they got together for coffee. These two people that just, you know, because it was, what were the chances? They were in this tiny town of like yeah. 10,000 people or whatever. And That's two of them were, you know, and the anxiety. So, so. so people find you from just stumbling upon looking up anxiety and anxiety sisters pops up or we really We don't know because we, you know, people always say, "Oh, you know, you need to pay attention to SEO," and we don't know what any of that means. So, we don't know how people find us. We assume that they look up anxiety and find us, or I'm glad maybe they found you because maybe <laughs> wow. they see a meme and you know something that's shared by a friend. And we are on Instagram. Sometimes I'll put up something and I and I'll put, you know, anxiety sisters don't go it alone, which is our tagline. So people will tend to come to that hashtag. We go to certain conferences, you know, we, we try to sort of be out there as much as possible. Um, pandemic sort of put, put, made it a little bit difficult, but we try to be out there as much as possible. But yeah, we're, we, we probably aren't the best at how people find us. Understand? Yeah, we, 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 we probably could really use some, some good, like webmaster SEO type marketing. Magic. Yeah. Sounds like you're doing just great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the power of social media is, is pretty big. And you, it really I mean, is. And we have another kinda... free resource for your listeners, for all listeners everywhere. And that is we have a panic button on our website. It's on the top page of every page of our website and it says, help, I'm having a panic attack right now. And so if you hover over it, it goes from pink to red and you can click on it. Do not worry. No one will show up at your home. <laughs> <laughs> we actually had people ask us. If, like, yeah, I was going to ask you that. People were very worried that. Yeah, people were worried mm -hmm. like, well, you know, they're of course they're going to say, oh my God, what if I push it? What yeah. will happen? So, but all it is is a recording of me sitting with you for six or seven minutes while you're having a, some some anxiety and talking you through it and saying hey i'm i'm with you and i'm not going to leave until we have this under control and just hearing a voice and someone who's talking you through it sharing you know my own experience and saying you know i you know you may not believe me but you are going to get through this watch how this works you know and just you know a, vo a friendly voice and we don't know who pushes it but it gets pushed 1700 times a week Wow. What a great tool. Yeah. So anyone of everything. I love to say, I love to say like 300 times a week for by my son who finds Abby much comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys are great. I like to fantasize that it's my college boyfriend who misses me so much after all these years. <laughs> like pushes that panic button just so we can go to sleep. The one that dumped you. <laughs> I'm going to believe that too. Yeah. <laughs> So if people, if people want to find you, what are the best ways to, to become a part of this sisterhood? Well, we are, you know, on Facebook, uh, just look up anxiety sisters or on Instagram, the anxiety sisters. Um, you can find us on the spin cycle with the anxiety sisters, which is our podcast. Um, and you can also find a, our book which is um, the Anxiety Sister Survival Guide. And we have a great website, anxietysisters.com, with tons yeah. of free resources and 
and um, and that's where people could sign up for your groups and all that. Sure. Oh, yeah, and it, you know we don't require people to sign up, but if, but you if they want, to want to. oh yeah, oh if they want to be in like the coping crew or something, yeah. If you come to our Facebook page or our website, um, yeah, people find people, it. people subscribe to our quote unquote newsletter, but you know we're it's not really a very regular newsletter you might not hear from us for months at a time we just can't get it together to get a newsletter out but um but we do on our facebook page tell everyone where we're going to be and what we're going to be doing um like i said we're having like maggie said we're having our our first retreat since the pandemic this december we're really excited in person yeah we wow. were we, we haven't done it since 2019 so we are really excited and how many people do you have on this well we're going to open it i think to 14. Nice. Last time we had, last, the last one we did, we had 22. We thought maybe we'll do it a little more intimate. So we're going to go 14. Um, but uh, hopefully that's something we'll, we can do every quarter. Go back to that, you know, being out there and Perfect. just sharing, you know, a weekend together. Coming out stronger from that. Yeah. 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 Anxiety is very bonding. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this and, and, and we like to laugh about it. So our, 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 you have to that's laugh. Our workshops are a little entertaining. Yeah, yeah. That's, I don't doubt it. That's well, you best. you guys are entertaining for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. This we was loved just having you. Such a fun goodbye. Enlightening. Thank you. Who so knew much that for... anxiety could be so much fun? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not while you're having it, but you know when you're talking about it, definitely. Exactly. But that's thank right. you guys so much for the work you do because I know how bereft families feel often when they they have nowhere to turn they don't know where to turn and someone so an anxiety sister said to us a couple of weeks ago you know it's like as she said it's like the uh what does she call it the psychological industrial complex comes <laughs> and gets involved but oh, you wow. really like sort of are swooped in mm -hmm. and don't always know that you're in the right place with the right people for your children, particularly. And this, this was for her children. And um, she said, like, you know, you get sort of swallowed by the system. Yeah, that yeah it's, hard to, it's hard to navigate. And we also want to tell your listeners that we answer every email and Facebook message we get. It takes a few wow. days because it's just the two of us, but we answer everything. So if you have a question, Yes. Send us abs and mags at anxietysisters.com, or you can just go on our website and there's a button that says email us. And if you click on it, it'll just Fantastic. somehow magically populate an email. Gosh, Thank you, you so much. Thank you, ladies. Don't forget, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We welcome your input. To contact us or any of our guests, please email us at behind our door at mail.com that's behind our door at mail.com and please don't forget to like and share our podcast um leave us a rating tell us how we're doing we really want your feedback it's important to us we are so thankful that you are here and listening to us if you or someone you know is in crisis struggling with mental illness you can call the national suicide hotline at 1-800-273-8255 or the NAMI helpline at 1-800-950-6264. Until next time, please join us for another conversation behind our door. Thanks for listening.